0: any Hello, everyone. We are live. and uh, Welcome to the newly launched weekly show of what is school for a big question. This show is inspired by my interview with Seth Golden. If you don't know him, definitely check him out. And uh, on this show, we interview parents, teachers, school principals, entrepreneurs, startup funders, and students to come here to discuss, debate, and disrupt education. So today I'm really, 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 really honored to have my dear friend Rich on the show and to talk about their revolutionary, I wish I could find an even stronger word to describe this revolutionary teaching method based on neuroscience, which is called a brain-centric design and their method will help our children and students fall in love with learning, with school and life. And so really excited, And Rich is the CEO of Card Knowledge and uh, also the author of Brain-Centric Design, which is what we're going to discuss today. And their work has been featured on Forbes and their teaching has changed so, so, so many children's lives and teachers lives. And I had the great honor actually to join a webinar hosted by Rich. I'm telling you guys, it is the most engaging webinar ever. It was like 10 or 11 p.m. my time. I was like, this is so awesome. I want more. Whereas many other webinars I attended, I was like, oh my God, like, another one so I can't wait you know many of you join us live are also probably entrepreneurs and this is something you can apply to coach and teach your own children but also to work with your clients to deliver content and I can't wait to learn more about this brain centric design to revolutionize how we learn and how we educate the next generation and our peers so thank you so much for joining us live rich and welcome to the show
1: wow thank you I, I feel like I should exit right now after that oh. intro that was <laughs> fabulous I'm honored to be here with you I mean uh I I don't know where you get your boundless energy on but every time I put up a browser you're you're in there somewhere and I think I I told you recently on uh, um, one of your uh, the other day I went, but uh, yeah I work out in the middle of the day and then I came in and all of a sudden uh, I got hooked on your uh, podcast or not the podcast, but your uh, your webinar. And uh, it's become my post-workout uh, audio. As I get things ready, I listen and tune in and, and see what you're up to and who you're interviewing. It's been a, a great time, and it's it's obviously wonderful to be here, so thank you.
0: Oh, that means so much to me. Oh, thank you yeah. so much, thank you so much. I see that a here, who is my former student. So thank you so much uh, for for joining us live. And we we'll, we are live on LinkedIn. We're also live on Facebook, on my personal page, public page. We're live on Periscope and YouTube. So let us know in the comment section where you are joining us from, social media-wise and geographically speaking. And thank you for spending a Friday morning, yeah. evening, or afternoon with us. So share with us, Rich, what inspired you to be on this journey, You know, to leave a mark in education?
1: Great question. Uh, Actually, believe it or not, that's that's not been asked the inspired part um, before. So that's uh, that's a great one. And uh, uh, I'll go back to my uh, my school. I mean, I I made it through school. Fine. Uh, Didn't necessarily enjoy it. I I kind of looked at it as something I was uh, happy to escape from. I knew I needed uh, advanced education, such as uh, college. I uh, happened to be the first uh, of my entire family tree to go to college Wow. and, and uh, ran out of money. I, I, I had funded it myself, ran out uh, two months in and joined the army. I uh, was in the army for uh, eight years total. Uh, but in the middle of that, I went back to school, finished my degree uh, and uh, knew that learning was essential to get what I wanted. And what I wanted was... Um, quite frankly to begin with what i wanted was enough money to do what i wanted to do with i didn't have a dollar amount per se i wanted uh enough just to to do things and that's basically remained the same but as i grew older i found out the more i learned outside of school seemed to me more valuable of what I learned inside mm-hmm. of school. I had great teachers, great trainers, great mentors, great things that turned in uh, were, were brought to me because of my profession, which at the time was a DJ. I, I graduated with a, a degree in mass communications and I always wanted to be a, a radio DJ. Uh, and I did that. I, I worked in a number of markets. I worked globally with the military and, and uh, kind of like a good morning Vietnam type of fella. Uh, with the military. And that was fun. Uh, But then when I got into uh, my professional life, I was working for the Country Music Association in uh, Nashville and was in charge of media services. And I had all these great questions coming at me from different people. I finally left that job, went back into radio, and I got into a morning drive position in Nashville, Tennessee. And in that morning drive, uh, I would get off the air at nine in the morning, and then I was kind of bored, so I got into sales. Yeah. I didn't want to get into sales, uh, but I did because uh, uh, I had a promotional mind. I could think of creative things. I had a teacher named, I mean, a sales manager, she was a teacher really, uh, named Sue Giovanni. And she taught me that sales has a bad rap as far as the name. It's its really solving problems. and And you've probably heard that before, but I was fortunate enough to have that kind of training going into it, she turned me on to neuro-linguistic programming. <laughs>
0: wow. and,
1: and then people like uh, Professor, uh, uh, Dr. Dennis Waitley, um, a bunch of different things when I was growing up like that. So fast forward as I continue to learn and learn and learn because I really found learning outside of school very exciting. Um, I have four children and uh, my son was in third grade in a public school. And this is where everything kind of went crazy. Uh, brilliant kid, all my all my children. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure all parents say this, oh, well, You know, all my kids are, are brilliant. Uh, but there are four very different children. Mm-hmm. I've got uh, uh, Darian, Aubrey, Jesse, and Anne Marie. And uh, I go to a teacher parent conference at school, and I walk in there, and the teacher says, "Oh, you know, who are you?" I said, "Well, I'm Rich Carr. You know, my son's Jesse." And she goes, "Which one is Jesse?" Mm-hmm. A teacher, I mean, this is a teacher for a teacher conference asking after, you know, two months in school, which kid is Jesse? And I look at her, I says, well, you know, there's 30 children. You don't know who my child is. And she goes, oh, well, we're the fab four. These four teachers, (laughs) these four tenured teachers in this school district all get together and teach 120 kids and they rotate around and all this other stuff. And I said, but still after two months, you don't know my child. You don't know him by name. And she didn't. So anyway, uh, we get into this big rumble because I was kind of put off by that. And then uh, she's telling me my child has problems in reading. She who doesn't know who my child is, is uh, telling me my child has problems in reading according to these scores. And, uh, but he didn't have a problem reading. What he had a problem reading was fiction. He didn't want to read about, you know, Bouncy the tiger saving the ecosystem. He wanted to learn to build ladders or fix car engines. And this is at third grade. He was building chicken coops. I mean, he was that kid. Um, long story short, I go to the principal and say, hey, my, teach, my son's teacher doesn't even know who my kid is. She starts telling me that I'm wrong for asking these questions in her own way. And that day, uh, I wow. took the kids out of school and started homeschooling. And that's where things really took off in a really wonderful way uh, because, uh, some of the things I was doing now, keep in mind, my whole background is mass communication. So I've, I went through the DJ thing. I I've owned radio stations, managed TV stations, uh, worked for Paul Allen in Portland. Uh, when he bought his, uh, radio, TV combo or combinations, I was his uh, director of digital, uh, at that time marrying the internet to radio. And the amazing thing about it was, with homeschool was I could teach my kids more in just a couple hours than what was happening in school. We had a horse ranch, um, and I wasn't a very good teacher. You know, homeschool, they have these curriculum fairs where you can go there and do those things. But after we would do the regular school lesson, we would then go apply that lesson outside somehow in the barn. For example, uh, we're doing geometry. And I would tell Jesse or Anne Marie that uh, they had to go out in the barn and clean 144 square feet of wow. stalls. And they at first would go 144 square feet, and I said, "No, we just went over this." And so they would think about it, and then they go, "That's one stall, you know, a 12 by 12 stall." And uh, and I said, "Yeah, in geometry grade or in algebra grade or whatever." And then how 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 many feet are in this pasture? And, and all of a sudden, it became a game. And this kind of training in, in homeschool turned out to be really magnificent because uh, they were having fun. They, they knew that we would sit down and hit some books, but they also knew we would go do something with it and it would make sense to them. So let me fast forward even further. Uh, six years ago, in uh, on September 1st, uh, my youngest daughter and I were going to a rodeo. Uh, again, we had a big horse ranch. My daughter's a barrel racer. I was a healer, a roper with my son. And uh, a lady uh, w- ran a stop sign and broadsided my daughter and I going 45 miles an hour. Uh, wow. it, was, it was a horrible accident. And uh, we flew about 60 feet.
0: Oh, my God.
1: Yeah, my right arm was avulsed. Uh, they had to amputate my right leg. My daughter bought, uh, broke her hip and uh, a big concussion and all kinds of things. And while I was in the hospital and uh, sitting there with my arm sewed to my chest and my my leg cut off, and I was wondering what I'm going to do, basically. Um, So they took me into this room where all these other people who've had traumatic uh, accidents after, this is after a couple months and I was starting to heal up. And I knew I didn't wanna be in that room because everybody was kind of down. I wanted to walk again. I wanted to be normal again because I was kind of disfigured and things had really gone sideways. The thing that I realized there was that what I still had was uh, my left arm and my brain. (laughs) And I wondered how people walk again because I've seen the Olympics where all of a sudden, you know, some guy's missing two legs and he's running miles. And I thought, okay, well, it's possible. How's it done? So, I had a Surface laptop in my hospital bed, and I would I would research this for something to do basically while in hospital because there's only television and drugs. Uh, and I willingly took all the drugs, most of them were painkillers, uh, but I preferred uh, researching how to get out of there and how to get normal again. And it was there that I really found, uh, there wasn't a lot of good teaching of how to walk again, but there was a lot of these stories of people and how they looked within their own brain to, to get things done. You know, if somebody else can do it, well, I can do it too, type of a mentality. So this this started my research into the to, to the brain and and I started mirroring that with marketing. And as I got better, I started looking at um, the correlations of marketing and uh, neuroscience because I saw that uh, I realized that everybody has the same brain. Uh, that brain accepts information the same way, but it's what we do with that information or how we input it into the brain that makes the biggest difference. At that point, I had kind of exhausted my knowledge, and I had uh, my son, Jesse, was uh, at a picnic with his girlfriend, and his aunt was talking about this brilliant neuroscientist she saw speak at the University of Washington, and my son remembered that I was looking into neuroscience, specifically, I mean, neuroscience is a big big, big uh, category, but specifically I was looking at and researching cognitive learning sciences, which was a brand new science. Uh, a lot of it, uh, pushed forward by my old boss, uh, Paul Allen, because he has the Paul Allen brain Institute in Seattle and, mm-hmm. uh, has put a lot of his money into research and brain. So with this new information about the brain and this neuroscientist at the university of Washington, his name was Kiran Omani, Dr. Kiran Omani. Uh, He's now my colleague. Uh, We got together. I asked Missy to introduce me. We got along fabulously. We had very similar backgrounds. He's from Ireland. I'm from Texas. However, uh, the way we thought and went about things were were very similar. And it was his research. Uh, He's a researcher. And if you really look at what he does, he stitches together the research of neuroscience for those things that Uh, of how the brain accepts information and how people like to learn. So rather than just putting probes into a mouse and seeing what they do, he looks at this research and says, how does it affect learning? So it is his brilliant research that really blossomed uh, uh, both my company and his uh, 5013C, which is neural education, which we can talk about here in a minute because it's it's changing teachers in such a radical way. an easy way and a very uh, segueable way. Um, the great uh, Robin Schulman uh, wrote she a story.
0: She's with us right now.
1: Oh, she's she's fabulous. She wrote a story about Kieran. There she is. Uh, she wrote a story story about Kieran and Forbes, which just just fabulously outlines this man's life, work, uh, and he was a teacher. He had a, a traumatic accident uh, in the classroom where one of his Ah, uh, students committed suicide, and he came to the U.S. to fo- solve that problem thirty years ago. And this is a, there's a story. Yeah, that's a it's a fabulous story. And what it what it comes down to is that um, the way our classrooms are are structured now put children in their amygdala. They they scare kids. Even the even the term classroom scares kids because we all feel the same way. If you go to a classroom. Uh, Right away, you're like, oh, what's this going to be like? And you sit in your rows and you shut up. And for an hour, you listen to somebody yammer on and show PowerPoint slides or tell you or push information at you. And uh, somewhere in there, everything gets lost. And this can be researched and you've seen this before. But for the last 50 years, uh, with all the things that have gone on with uh, government and regulation and all these things, uh, schools have, have not improved. The scores, the science scores, the math scores, uh, you know, the enrollment's up. Uh, you know, I guess that's that's one up. Uh, but all the other scores are either stagnant or somewhat down. Uh, some some recent gains in science, thanks to STEM and things like that. But it is the way that you present information to a brain, to a child, to an adult in a, you know, a learning and development community. It's the manner in which you present that information that that guarantees the success of the uh, acceptance of that information. So what brain centric design does or neural education does brain centric design is more the business side and neural education is the K 12 side. What it does is teach teachers, facilitators, managers, uh, whatever the term is, how to present information, the way the brain accepts it and how people love to learn that's Mm -hmm. per, per the brain. And, the real main goal of this training, if you want to boil it down to some simple learning, is that uh, it eliminates labeling and stratification in the learning space. Classrooms are, are what we call learning spaces. So it's fun because we love to learn. Uh, you, if you've read Daniel Pink's book, you know that uh, autonomy, uh, mastery, and, and let me turn that up, sorry. Uh, autonomy, mastery, and purpose are what drives education. Mm-hmm. So. So uh, we've de- developed a structure for a classroom so that it will faci- facilitate that that kind of uh, of approach. And, and I'm happy to go through that structure if I can share my screen. I can I can show you how that works. Uh, but there's a there's basically five parts to a a, a learning space. An hour yeah. structured and controlled so that everybody feels welcome. That we eliminate uh, labeling and stratification. And we increase a teacher's capacity in a new field, which is cognitive learning neuroscience.
0: I definitely want you to share that because I think that model is revolutionary. It is so amazing, regardless of you are a teacher or maybe you are a parent or you are an entrepreneur, everyone can apply this model. And just to prep that a little bit, as I was uh, preparing for this interview and I was uh, trying to research some questions and I just Googled, Uh, School makes me feel like, and oh my God, I was so surprised and so shocked by the top search results suggested by Google, which means that what people are Googling, so I will show you guys in a second, then I will ask Rich to share his screen. So this is like, I I got uh, quite a few uh, different screenshots when people try to Google, school makes me cry, depressed. As you can see, this is crazy. Can you imagine our precious children? I'm seeing this in my own children. The younger they are, the more interested they are in learning. They're passionate. They have this like amazing limitless energy. They are so hungry for knowledge. And as they grow older, their hunger doesn't actually increase. And somehow whatever happened between like one or two years old and as they grow older from schooling and they start to feel like oh my god why do i have to go to school even my own undergraduate students i have some of them join us live right now and when i say that hey guys guess what today i have to cancel a class everyone is so excited like yeah I was like, that doesn't even make sense, right? You, you paid for me to teach you and you are so excited about canceling a class. But I can really understand where that mentality comes from. I'm just showing you a few random ones and it's pretty similar. And school is like, makes me feel like stupid. And this one is kind of funny and also sad at the same time. And about what I'm learning you, from you, Rich, this can be changed, right? It doesn't oh. have to be like that because learning is enjoyable. Like me, I love learning. I love growing. So share that model with us. Everyone, you know, get ready to take some <laughs> notes. I love this model myself.
1: Yeah, let me uh, let me share the screen here. Hopefully I do this right. Uh,
0: yeah, and also I want to ask, many of uh, many people are joining us live right now. I want to ask you, if you have children, what's their relationship with school? When you ask them, like, or did you already observe this, like, you know, resentment to learning, to going to school? And share with me in the comment section, I want to hear from you how your children or your students perceive education.
1: Definitely, and, it, and it'll and it probably be the same way most people watching perceive it. Uh, in the Z, very similar way that you did Google, Google represents search. Uh, and school does make us feel that way primarily because eliminate or by the labeling and stratification that happens. I mean, think about it. You, you said earlier, uh, as you're a young child, you know, you love life, then something happens when you go to school.
0: Something happens, exactly. And this is what happened to me. I, I did a video a few days ago. Like I grew up in China. I received a very traditional exam-based, I call it STEM. We spent so much time learning physics, chemistry, math. And by the end of high school, I was like, I hate learning so much. I didn't want to go to college. I was literally asking for my parents. Can you just not send me to college? I just don't want to do this anymore. So, but now I'm totally different. I love, I, I know because it comes from the inside, you know, it comes from my heart. I, I love, I'm passionate about this. I want to figure this out. But anyway, so share, explain this model to us.
1: Sure. And and, I mean, what you're explaining is is how we're hardwired. I mean, we love to learn. We love to to master. We love to to get new information, uh, whatever that information is. The problem with school is is that uh, they tell you what to learn. And this is just like marketing. And this is why marketing and education are basically the same thing. It is changing a behavior or giving new information to change something. Uh, And so... This model represents uh, an hour in a class, say, and I'll, and I'll go over how that works, but the biggest thing about this model before we even begin is how we look at the students coming in. Now, this is for children, this is for adults, this is for your kids at the dinner table uh, and, and how you put information together. And there are two kinds of kids and you you explain this even in your own family and everybody watching will see the same thing happen in theirs. The two kids, and this comes from uh, Daniel Coyle's research, are dandelions and orchids, dandelions and orchids. And dandelions, we use this because it's an easy thing to remember. Dandelions can thrive anywhere. A crack in the sidewalk, a hole in the wall, uh, you know, your, your beautifully manicured lawn, they just, they happen and they thrive. Uh, orchids do not, Uh, orchids need a greenhouse. They need the proper pH. They need the proper water. They need the proper sunlight. They need the proper noise. Very, very sensitive are orchids. So if you look at your, your children or your classroom and you broke them only into two groups, and I'm not labeling or stratifying, I'm giving you a context in which to teach from dandelions have innate resilience. They're the kids that no matter what you throw at them, they're going to survive just fine. And I'm not talking A, B, C, D, F type of survival. I'm just talking about life. Uh, they're not, they don't have problems with things. They're resilient. Those are your dandelions. Uh, so I've got two dandelions and two orchids for my four children. Then there are orchids. Orchids have innate sensibility. These are the super sensitive people or in school. They're typically the people that get sent to the, uh, that cause the problems that uh, get sent to the office that are in trouble for, doodling or want, you know, mind wandering or getting in trouble. They act out, they opt out, they, they, they drop out. And, and we see this in historical numbers. Now, just like your Google search, you know, school makes you feel bad. Why? Because when you go into school, when you're a kid and, and you're playing with blocks, nobody's telling you what to do. You're just exploring and building and stacking Mm -hmm. blocks, but all of a sudden you go into first grade and you stock, you stack those blocks wrong that is not how you make the letter a this is not how you act you know it's just scold 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 really i mean it's a it's a behavioral you know we call it behavioral approach but i mean it's 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 a lot of stratification and so when a test comes out and instead of you being told hey johnny wonderful blocks you know have fun you're told that you're a c mm-hmm. and and in your brain, the way your brain works, it's go, well, there's a piece of paper. There's an authority figure. They just told me I'm a C and she's an A, and he's a B, I must be dumb. So then your, your reticular activating acting system is, is going to your RAS, your Raz, is going to basically point those things out to you in life all the time. So if you're a C at school and then you do something bad at home, it's like, wow, I am a C. You know, and this compounds over the, the 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 way school works, where every day you go into a classroom, which is turned into a bad place, because you're going to go in there, you have to be quiet, you're told what to do, you feel stupid, and depending on your personality makeup, that dandelion orchid thing, you're either going to uh, uh, suffer in that environment or just kind of get through. Mm-hmm. So. This particular model is called the, the challenge wheel and I'll explain how it works. And this is an hour in the class, broken up into five parts. And this is how we approach uh, almost every single class. The very first section is called initial thoughts. So when we were, we're there's a lot of neuroscience and that I'll brush over uh, and I've, I've got a treat for everybody that uh, you know they can get some more information on this yeah, for afterwards. <laughs> Well, we have a 30-course uh, uh, university online uh, called the Brain-Centric Design Experience, and everybody listening today will get a free tuition to that, so they can go through this and look at this uh, on their own and learn a lot of the nuances that come directly from the book, uh, Brain-Centric Design, on how this works. But the, the first, so, so let's say it's eight o'clock, we're in school, and we're going to learn I don't know. Give me a subject to, to teach here that I can use in an analogy. I. What would you like me to, to uh, use as? A...
0: I guess uh, cooking. My older son is kind of interested in cooking now, and so like maybe that that can be.
1: Yeah. Oh, fabulous, fabulous. So in so we don't cooking is.
0: Food, right?
1: <laughs> so cooking's very broad, and and I I'll break this down to pasta. How about that? Just fresh fresh pasta. Um, so we're going to teach the kids how to make fresh pasta today, and rather than say let's get out your dough and egg and a board and all these kinds of things and list scary stuff i want dandelions and orchids to get into this class so immediately before i even start the class i assume everybody is an orchid i assume everybody in my class is in their amygdala or is under what we call an amygdala hijack meaning that they've got something else on their mind uh, if it's a child, that might be an adverse uh, child situation. Maybe they got a, a bad home life. Maybe they were bullied at the bus stop. Uh, maybe they're feeling ill. Maybe their cat's sick. Uh, if they're an adult, um, oh, I didn't mean to do that. Sorry. If they're an adult, um, they, uh, you know, maybe the taxes are due, or the car's not working, or mm-hmm. my wife hates me, or the chicken was on fire. You know, I. It doesn't matter. When they come into the classroom you have to realize they've got this other life that they brought in so we teach to the orchid and we teach one concept and we go very deep into that concept and we make them a part of it this is how it works the first part is called the initial uh the initial thoughts so if we're talking about cooking fresh pasta i want that child that learner to understand that this class is all about them or what we call me here now because we all operate in that space I'm interested if this is going to affect me here now. Uh, and and if I'm not interested if you're telling me I should learn this and I'm going to be graded on it. I'm instantly scared and I went right back into my, my amygdala. So in the initial- I can time,
0: interrupt you for a second. I think that's such a great point because while I was going through my educational journey, I couldn't draw any personal connection between what I was learning and me and myself. So that point was such a great point. Sorry well, to interrupt.
1: Thank you. And everything we do in life is really about me. Even if we're altruistic, it's to make me feel helping this person makes me feel good. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I I'm on this diet, but I'm eating this chocolate sundae because it makes me feel good. I mean, am mm-hmm. my other thing is not out there. So in the classroom, it's such a wonderful opportunity to help people learn. You have to you have to realize that we're not teaching to Johnny. We are technically, but we're really teaching to his brain and all our brains work the same way. So let's let's make that brain open up, not be in their amygdala and be ready, conditioned for learning. So when we uh, take cooking and which I've now reduced to uh, making fresh pasta, the very first thing in this first section of the class is I'm going to say, hey, today we're going to be learning to cook fresh pasta. And I want to know what everybody knows about it. So take 60 seconds. And on a piece of paper here, I want you to write down your answer to the following challenge. How do I make fresh pasta so that, my, so that I can eat it whenever I want? So I've, I've turned fresh pasta into a challenge, a, an attainable oh. challenge. And I want them to instantly go into their now developing prefrontal cortex where these kinds of thoughts happen, uh, which doesn't really mature until you're 25, if you're female, 26, 27, if you're male. So this thing's building all through school and it's important to understand that. But when you come in and you ask that child say, Johnny, how would uh, you make fresh pasta so that you can eat it anytime you want? Johnny sees the benefit in that. Wow. I can cook. I can, I can make fresh pasta and they're going to take 60 seconds to think about this challenge. Maybe they don't know. Maybe they think it's just from a box and they put it in boiling water, but they don't know how to boil, you know, all these kinds of things. But there's no wrong answers here. They're thinking for 60 seconds about what we're going to tell them about. And there's and they keep that answer for themselves. This is not to show me. It's not gonna be graded. It's it's their answer to the particular challenge. From that challenge, we go right into the content of the class. In this period of the class, uh, that first period, sorry, that period here, the initial thoughts, That's that's only a couple minutes. That's the intro of the class. We've got all kinds of things going on. We ask them the challenge. Then we go to the learning. And in this learning, this is where the part of the magic happens. This is where instead of covering information like in a classroom, in a brain-centric design learning space, we present information so that the learners can uncover it. We're not trying to hit them with a bunch of information. That's cognitive overload. We're hitting them with information that that they look at and go, oh, 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 that 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 kind of approach. We call this section multiple perspectives. Generally, it's fifteen to twenty minutes long. Again, we're using an hour as our our goal here, but this could be a week long. I mean, there's depends how long the classroom. Fifteen to twenty minutes long, and in that fifteen to twenty minutes, I'm going to show four, five, six very short perspectives on making fresh pasta. And the key thing about those perspectives is I'm going to light up their whole brain. Now there's four major lobes in the brain. This is, this is neuroscience, four major lobes. Uh, There's the occipital, the parietal, the frontal, and the temporal. And aside from those terms, those are basically uh, sections of the brains that are enacted uh, when you're being experiencing something. And in typical classrooms, you're only hitting one lobe which is the temporal, that's, that's, listen to me, regurgitate what I say, I'm going to give you a test, hope you get it right, whatever you get, that's your label, move on, that, that, that's our typical classroom, now, I'm not, I love teachers, my mother was a teacher, I was once married to a teacher, and, and, and I know the struggles inside of a classroom, so I'm not burning teachers in any way, what I'm showing is a way that the brain accepts information, speaking is one of them, Mm-hmm. So one of these multiple perspective perspectives might be uh, a chef or uh, me, the teacher, talking about how I make fresh pasta. Well I just got back from the Amalfi coast. One of these days, one of those days I took uh, an afternoon, went to a cooking school and we made fresh pasta by getting flour and I might just talk for three minutes about a cool story that's entertaining to my my classroom of orchids because I'm teaching to the orchid, remember. And I'm just explaining it for three minutes or so. Then I might give them a dish of fresh pasta so that they can eat it and smell it and touch it. Then I might have a chef uh, in a video talk about he makes how he makes fresh pasta at his uh, restaurant in New York that just got the Michelin star. And then I might have them um, do a little three to five minute workshop where they get to actually have some flour and an egg and make dough and mm-hmm. And this is my multiple perspectives. That's, that's lighting up all four lobes of the brain. We have a, uh, um, a tool, a deck of cards we call uh, don't be a lobophobe, which, which helps build these kinds of perspectives. And they're not hard to think of once you understand what we're looking for. So that's multiple perspectives and that's, that's the delivery. And that's not me, the teacher, that's different voices. That's novelty. That's different media. That's uh, if you look at how kids learn or how they consume media today. Because keep in mind, my my background is mass media, and and how to do that. They spend so much time in social media and swiping. If this is this is you know, and they're swiping and they're swiping and they're swiping and they're going through stuff. But yet we go to a classroom and we expect them to sit still for an hour and listen to me talk. I could be entertaining, but I'm not an hour worth of entertaining, you know, ever. So multiple perspectives delivers learning much like social media delivers social media. Fast, varied. You know, if you're looking through Facebook or LinkedIn, you've got videos, you've got memes, you've got text, you've got all kinds of things and you can swipe through them. You go through them because we don't have much of an attention span. I think Microsoft said uh, in their last study that our attention span is, is actually less than a goldfish.
0: Goldfish especially for content that we're not interested in, right? If we're watching a movie that we're interested in, we can watch for an hour or maybe even two hours. But for the content, if we're not interested I think the attention span is zero.
1: Oh, it's ab- you're absolutely right. And that's why in this model at the very beginning, we make it interesting by saying, hey, hey I, how, how would you make fresh pasta? And you're like, hmm. And so now you're looking at it. So now we give you these multiple perspectives on it. OK, so we just did 15, 20 minutes of these different things of cooking fresh pasta. Then we go to the class and we say, all right, class, take two minutes and reflect about everything you've just seen. And I want you to answer three questions. And these three questions are geared to to get them, keep them engaged in the content and make it all theirs, because I don't want to tell them about how to make fresh pasta. I want them to uncover how they would make fresh pasta. Okay. So I've sent them them, these perspectives and they answer three questions. The very first one, uh, and I'll give this to all your listeners. Of course, the first one is, uh, what was surprising? And that's, that's a safe question because anybody can find something surprising about anything, even if it's nothing, that's a correct answer. Because remember, we're not doing, we don't do tests. So what was surprising? And then the next question so is...
0: So for a second, Rich here? So why it is important for us to ask safe questions? Because I really love you, Malo, because you create such a safe space. So why? Why this is important? Kind of like... Because... Uh, that to us.
1: Absolutely. It's personal. Mm-hmm. It's personal. I think there's nothing wrong with being surprised uh, because that's... that We love surprises. We love adventures. We love explorations. We love being surprised especially if we're in, in control of it. And now you, the teacher are asking me what's surprising, and I have to encode it from my brain through my hand and actually write it down, not just think about it, but actually write it down on these three questions. So surprising is a very safe question. And thank you for bringing that up. This is a safe learning space. our That's why I said learning space. Everything in here is is not labeled and stratification. It's exploration and uncovering and intrinsic motivation and changing people from a routine expert to an adaptive expert i mean oh, it's, i love that they they can't i mean gartner just came out last month actually and the most valuable skill uh in the next i think it was four years will be cognitive thinking if you can adapt you'll succeed in the new world but if you're just a regurgitator of somebody else's information then you're trying to emulate google i mean google google has replaced facts people can get facts but people who can take facts and innovate with them and ideate with them and revolutionize things with them are, are the future currency, not the folks. Oh, absolutely. That can... Yeah. So these questions are designed to facilitate that kind of thinking. What is surprising? That's a safe answer because it's my answer. And I could say, well, I had no idea that uh, zero, zero flour was a thing. I thought flour was flour, but there's this thing called zero, zero flour and it's the best for pasta. I just found that out and you know, that was surprising. The next question is, what did I already know but see in a new light? Again, very safe question. It, 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 it actually, it helps me pump myself up. What did I already know that's anchored learning and now seeing a new light? That's a shift in thinking. That's That's, I've now brought myself to a new place. So, well, I knew there was pasta, but I had no idea it was just flour and egg. And that, you know, anybody can do it and I can do it because I just did it. I just massaged some dough. I felt it. I know what it looks like. You know, I, I didn't, I thought it came in a blue box, you know, but it doesn't. It's, it's flour and an egg and anybody can do it. So that was, that is something I knew and, and, uh, and, and now see differently. And then the third question, and these are always the th- same three questions. We don't mess with these questions because they're, 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 they're neuroscience. This is Kieran's design. Third question is, uh, um what do i still need help with mm. it's very simple not do i have any questions that 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 that's a fearful way of saying it. does anybody have any questions all of a sudden you know you cower down like a frightened turtle if you say what do i still need help with it's like well i you know how come his his pasta was better than mine you know i still need help with the consistency of the dough or whatever it might be mm. so those are the three questions and then this is where the magic happens this next section Which is called revised thinking is where learning happens and you can hear it and it's exciting and this is what uh you experienced in our professional learning community on tuesdays is that we take those same three questions and we move them into what's called revised thinking and we divide that class into groups now let's say we have a a class of 30 kids 30 adults doesn't matter We'll divide them into five or six groups of, you know, five or six people, however you would like to do the math there. Um, and we give them 15 minutes to discuss those same three questions. So we've got five groups of six people all discussing what was surprising, what they already knew and see in a different light and what they still need help with. And this is also very safe because those questions, um, facilitate a conversation. Earlier you had said, uh, uh, Seth had asked you, Seth Goodman had asked you, what is school for? My answer for that is collaboration and mm co-creation. I love talking to other people, especially people from outside of my field of study, to connect things to mine. Kids are the same way. And you've seen all kinds of videos where here's a big group of people and we're divided. However, we have all this stuff in common. Classroom is the same way. If you talk about fresh pasta in the classroom and I'm sitting in a group with five other people and uh, one of us is gonna be the, the taskmaster, making sure everybody participates in the conversation. Another one's gonna be the scribe and they're gonna write down what everybody says. And another one's gonna be a timekeeper to make sure we stay within the 10 to 15 minutes that, and everybody gets to speak. So all of a sudden you've got five or six people all collaborating and co-creating what was surprising. I said it was, I didn't know, zero, zero flour, but you said you had no idea that it was only egg and that sometimes your mom drops oil into it. And then Sally says, oh yeah, I do a little salt too. And suddenly you've got people creating fresh pasta. They're talking about it. They're engaged about it. They're having fun, Mm -hmm. they're exploring. Same thing with the second question. What did I already know and see in a different light? Chances are in that group, we're gonna have several different answers and they're discussing them. And then what do they still need help with? Well, they, they they write that down. Now, here's where the magic comes after this revised thinking, because this is loud. This is kids talking, having fun about this concept, not you saying, this is how you make it. So they're having fun with it. They're now taking ownership of this or they've now made it, they've made it intrinsic, uh, obviously. And then here's the fun part. The very end of the class, if I hit the right button here, there, sorry very end of the class. This is called report out. So one person from each group stands up or sorry, each group stands up one at a time. They give themselves a fun name. We we give them these instructions when we break out into this group here. So, okay, kids break up into these groups and give yourself a name and they have fun with that because they're being creative and they can be whatever. So the first spokesman for the first group stands up in this last part called report out. And that first person stands up and says, we are the linguinis, and the linguinis thought what was surprising was, and they say whatever they came up with as a collective group. And what's wonderful for that is you've got a spokesman because they'll always be the spokesman. Somebody's always wants to be that person, um, but they're saying we. So in these other sections of the model, the initial thoughts, everything was individual until we got to revise thinking. Now we're thinking in a group. And now my thoughts as part of that group are being uh, uh, exposed to everybody through this spokesman, and he's saying we the Linguini's thought uh, that zero zero flour was was really surprising. You know, we thought flour flour. Uh, what we what we the Linguini's uh, already knew and seen a different light is that pasta shouldn't come from a box. Pasta should come from that flour bag and that chicken egg, and it should be a family affair and it should be fun. And we're making healthy food with no preservatives, and it's really crazy. And uh, we the linguini's uh, still need help with. Um, how do I get one of those pasta rollers, or can you do it with just a rolling pin, or you know how can I make those funny shapes that I see when I go to to the Olive Garden, or you know whatever? Now, what's fun about this is remember we have six of these groups. I think I said five of these mm-hmm. groups. This is going to happen five times in the report out section, and each one of these report outs takes just a couple minutes. So call it ten minutes at the end of the class. All of them, they're all excited to see, okay, the Linguini said this, but the Pasta meister said this. And what's happening is cognitive rehearsal. Since since this portion of the model, since Reflect, you, the teacher, are just monitoring and keeping things going the way they should. You're really being cognizant of time, listening into what they're saying here, adding if they have any questions, and then watching the brilliance of these young, beautiful, limitless, potential minds talk about fresh pasta in a way they've never spoken about it before. And it's fun because it's the whole thing has been about them. And at the end, they've now heard the cognitive rehearsal part um, five or six times from all these people in the class about making fresh pasta. And that's the, that's the class. You're, you're out of the class, now you take a break. I mean, in the middle of the class, we do fun things like brain breaks and, oh. and all those kinds of things. And the brain break might be uh, about their uh, particular, um, uh, it might be about pasta, like we might have them juggle juggle routine, routine pasta noodles or something. And the idea is to kind of clear out that prefrontal cortex and make room for new learning because it's an infinite space. And I can go deep into the neuroscience of all that, but that's that's the model. It's called the Challenge Wheel. Initial thoughts, multiple perspectives, reflect, revise thinking, report out. It's that simple, and anybody can do it with any curriculum at any time. Uh, at At the dinner table, whether you're moving your kid to college, uh, it it really doesn't matter. We do that at work. We do that in our management meetings. When we have a management meeting, we have one th- one concept we're going to cover, not twenty nobody's going to remember 20 nobody ever does uh, the great thing about brain-centric design and we just did this at the uh columbia teachers college uh, uh in new york where we presented the the results of this in a uh, couple fortune uh, 100s we work with we had a third party measure the effectiveness of the learning in this model versus the traditional model and what we found and presented and it was accepted peer-to-peer was that we've reversed the Ebbinghaus curve. Um, that's the forgetting curve. You know, you always hear this, that you're going to forget 80% of this in a day anyway, so it doesn't matter. Well, why? Because they didn't learn it in the first place. It wasn't presented mm-hmm. correctly for their brain in the first place. And what happens with this model is the learner takes agency. So after they leave that class, they're mm-hmm. going to go home and say, mom, let's make pasta. You know, it's like, let's, let's go get some flour and egg. I just learned this today. And now it's them. It's all about me here now. And that's the secret of this model, where it, it it brings you into any subject, makes it yours emotionally through a challenge and how you would do it, gives you perspectives that you can uncover and go oh, and then gives you these questions, this framework, this collaborative, co-created environment that is that gives orchids their voice. Suddenly they're not. I don't go to you and say, I tell me how to make fresh pasta, and you don't want to mm-hmm. look like a fool in class. You and don't be like
0: step one, step two, step three, right?
1: Yeah, none of that. I mean, the steps, those are there. I mean, kids, everybody's got limitless potential, but in a classroom, a traditional classroom, we box that potential up and then we tell them, we label and stratify them. And even though I might be a brilliant kid, you don't know whether my cat got ran over that morning. And I'm not gonna learn math on a morning my cat got ran over. Sorry, that's, that's not my priority. My priority is in my heart because my best buddy got squished. And and I'm not going to learn. And then suddenly you give me an F. You know, that's why you Google results and you see those things because uh, we don't teach to the brain. We teach to five horrible government models that haven't moved the learning. So true.
0: (laughs) So on top of that, and teachers, you know, I, I, I taught in the classroom for 10 plus years. We're being trained to become as objective as possible. So to do that, we really hide our emotions. I remember like for one teacher's training, we're like when you are grading students paper, just cover the names and try to be as objective as possible. So we really learn even when we write, you know, this. This paper argues right? we don't even use the word I, where it's like on top of that. yeah. So that what you just said resonated so much with me. Yeah, and I love this comment from uh, Donald who's actually joining us from Denmark. i uh, very interesting. And yeah. he said that uh, like a uh, third question is asking how much we sell this platform for, <laughs> I love it. But I think that's a great like a point Like, you can really add this personal component, right? And here is actually, people are loving everything that you shared so far. These are great questions. And uh, I already uh, entered and typed the three questions in the comment section that you guys can copy and paste. And so this question is from Greg. And he said that the United States is uh, such a powerful country. It's a first world nation with a third world education program. Why is that?
1: It's uh, there's big money. It's kind of like big pharma. I mean education is a is a big thing and we' and it was designed really as a uh, after the Model T and this this can be research I can give you this information but basically uh, it was designed for the industrial, the manufacturing age so that we could take a group, group big group of people and efficiently move them through a system. Uh, these ones are going to be managers these ones are going to be floor workers. these ones are going to do other things. And we had to have a way of label and stratifying. Well, well, that's we're not necessarily a manufacturing place anymore. We, we can't do that. It, it worked for a while, uh, it doesn't work now. Uh, I mean, we have other ways of getting information and then job place is completely changed. And what's expected of you in the job isn't um, that routine expert anymore. I mean, one in five, I think it's one in five employees at Amazon is a robot. Wow. I mean, it's if you go to a man, one of their, and I live up near Seattle, and there's these manufa- these giant warehouses of Amazon everywhere. When you walk into them, there might be fifteen or twenty people, but there are four hundred robots going and getting all this stuff based off of scan codes. That the, the danger with uh, um, artificial intelligence, or uh, isn't so much that computers are turning into humans; it's that humans are in, turning into computers which is limiting. I mean, our brain has trillions of connections and the best AI, even Google's newest AI only has like a billion, but we have trillions. They can't emulate that. No. you know. But if we learn how to structure any new information to a learner, the way the brain accepts it and how people love to learn, then people's own brilliant minds are gonna take that with their own limitless potential and grow. And that's why we teach to the orchids. They're the most sensitive. The dandelions are going to survive so anyway, and also grow. And and the brilliant people in society are typically these orchids who who are sensitive.
0: So true. So true. I, I love this uh, comment from Phil. And thank you for joining us live. And schools are just training us to become employees. You know this employee mentality, right? We yeah. we, we we listen. Hey, listen to the teacher. Every time when I drop my kids off at school. I frequently hear other parents listen to the teacher. Listen to the teacher, and I love how Gary was talking about you know critical thinking. Right? You know, the the more you listen, you you are really losing this ability to become critical. When I first came to the U.S., my teacher asked me to be critical. I was like I don't know how. I never asked a single question in my entire life. I don't know how to be critical. You teach me how to be critical. It was very very interesting. Yeah. So yeah, this is this. I love this conversation. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's, it's been it's been wonderful. And, and and again, it's the beautiful thing about it is it's agnostic to any kind of of subject matter or person. Uh, it's it's not media if you know it doesn't require an app. <laughs> it yeah. just requires I would, the structure.
0: Cause uh, quite a few people join us live right now and uh, are like entrepreneurs, they're thinking about homeschooling their children. So and you also homeschool your own children. I want to ask you first, what are some like noticeable changes? That you observed in your own children between, uh, you know, going to a traditional school versus now being homeschooled, and then share with us how can we adopt this uh, this method you just shared with us to a homeschooling environment.
1: Homeschool uh, is near to my heart because again we did do it for the kids, and uh, the beautiful thing about it is is that you're in control and you can you know your children better than a teacher knows your children, and when you put this model into a homeschool, it's, you're, you're, you're basically structuring, uh, applied learning for, for them. And you can do it in so much less time because you only spend a little bit of time actually in a, in a room kind of going over the basic parts of the information or what I'll call the multiple perspectives of what I just showed you. Mm-hmm. And then we'll, then we'll go outside and like I say, and, and apply it or somewhere else in the house and apply it. And, and then we'll take a break and have fun, go ride horses, go do chores, Love it. Uh, you know, go walk by the river, you know whatever it is that takes you out of that. Eight hours of school is way too much. I mean okay. we in, in our classes, even though a class like might, might be an hour long, in that hour, uh, we do two or three brain breaks in the class and a, and a brain break is, is designed to, to again clear the space so you can learn something new. Uh, and brain breaks you can google them uh, we have a lot actually i have a whole thing that's that we're giving your viewers here today where they can learn more about it uh we oh, have a this
0: is so interesting. I, mean, I never even heard of this i can't wait to check oh, out really? oh yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. A brain break is literally uh okay so again think of typical classroom you're sitting on your you're sitting on a chair and you're listening to the class for an hour you know most people can't do that let alone kids so our rule of thumb is whoever you're teaching to, if your classroom is uh, all 10-year-olds, then every 10 minutes have a brain break. If your classroom yeah. is 30-year-olds, then every 30 minutes have a brain break. And the the idea of a brain break, uh, again, the, the technical, the neuroscientific idea of it, is to clear your prefrontal cortex where the critical thinking takes place, where you're actually leaning in, where you're engaged, where you can predict, where you can uh, you know, postulate, you can, you can think up here, um, clear that area for whatever is coming next. And to get the blood out of your keister and up into your brain, if you're sitting down for a a whole hour, the blood is not in your brain, but if all of a sudden I stand up and move around and, and dance or do an activity or, you know, walk around the room, something as simple as a brain break would be, okay, I've just done two of my four multiple perspectives, right? And then I ask the whole class to stand up and team up. So I team up with you, I, and then I tell the class, I'm going to engage their brain here, touch elbows with your partner and walk, walk once around the room while keeping your elbows touching and discuss what you think was most fun about what you just heard. That's it.
0: I love this cool. I think most conferences I go to, they just talk, 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 nonstop. But the end of the conference day, I'm like, oh my God, I can't take any more information. They should embrace this. I really think okay. what you share with us, it's not just for a traditional classroom environment or even a homeschooling environment, but like nationwide, every single organization that incorporates learning should follow this model
1: well and the and the truly innovative companies are leading the way with that i mean uh, we're in with a couple of fortune 100s and a bunch of other businesses but uh, the the fortune 100s and nda i, I can't really speak of them uh, but you know their brands you know <laughs> you, you know them well and the they they push innovation and what they're finding with this are, are amazing amazing differences in classrooms and in school what they're finding is that they're learning more in less time and loving their job because they're not scared. And so the same thing works with 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 schools. Think about this, if if you measured a school success rate by the amount of blue slips, meaning how many kids are sent to the office for trouble or what have you, in a in a in a neural education classroom, those things go down to almost non-existent because the kids are active, they're having fun, they don't have to sit down for eight hours and listen to you talk. Nothing against you, it's just that that format is tough. It's Mm -hmm. tough for anybody, it's tough for adults. Why would we expect a kid whose brain's not even formed to do adult things? So why don't we, we deliver it in a way that the brain accepts it, not adult or kid, but brain. And the brain has a very, very distinct way of learning and that's all we do we build neural structures we teach teachers what a neural structure is what learning actually is the connection of neurons and then the grouping of neurons and then the insulation of neurons that's a thought or that's a memory or that's a new thing you learned and when you understand that structure it's it's very easy to fall within that model and roll with it it's a big paradigm shift because it wasn't what you were taught in college uh, wow. what, what you're taught in college is what they've been teaching in college for the last 100 years. Yeah. I mean, same, same stuff. It's uh, it's the Addy model. It's uh, it's rewards and punishment. It's behaviorism, oh, it's it's, it's And that's like, that's gone. Cognitivism is what Gartner is declaring. And that's what we found that is working in every learning space we go into.
0: Yeah, there are so many things that I love about this model. But one thing in particular that I really love is how you guys are emphasizing creating this a safe space, safe learning space because I remember I listened to this TED talk. so the speaker was talking about how many organizations they ask their employees to innovate, but you can only innovate within this, within that they give them a long list of parameters for people to innovate. The everyone was like, I don't know how. So like I love how you mentioned you know giving children this safe space allow them to make mistakes. I really enjoy this and draw that personal connection. Yeah mm-hmm. and we have to respect your time we have been going live for an hour everyone I'm loving the oh. questions so i but i definitely want to respect rich's time so there are two questions i want you to briefly touch upon so this wise question which i hear a lot in terms of homeschooling is how can you homeschool social skills and you can uh, I love, like,
1: I love that question and love it uh, primarily because that's the first thing all the other parents said was you know yeah but you've taken them out of their social environment it's like no i've controlled their social environment i don't want them in a group of 30 kids who are unruly with a teacher who doesn't even know my kid's name i do not want my kid there so homeschool i thought was saving my kids from going down a path that i could see clearly from research that public schools aren't aren't, aren't always putting out 100 percent of the time wonderful kids i wanted that for my kid and so I thought, well, rather than just complain about it, because complaining is not a strategy. Complaining is just complaining. I wanted to do something about it, whether I was right or wrong. But I knew they were in a wrong spot. The social skills come from the social things that we dictated that were important for them. Now I said earlier, I had a, a horse ranch. And mm-hmm. so uh, they were in 4-H. So they were with kids that were in a similar situation that had farm animal, animal animals that uh that had fun around that environment. Uh co- homeschools also have co-op uh opportunities where other homeschoolers we all get together and we talk about subjects and and so on and have a different kind of environment. And the other thing was travel. Social skills for kids to me was travel. Different states, different countries, different towns, mm-hmm. different restaurants, different anything. So that they could go so if, if we always went to Olive Garden and ordered fettuccine, that's what they would think Italian food is. No, no, no. I'm taking my kids to Florence, and we're gonna bebop, and we're gonna find the world's best tiramisu in Florence. And 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 they're exposed to people and homeschoolers, and you can see this with almost every homeschool child. They're so much more socially adept because they've been in situations where they speak to adults, uh, like 4-H. I, I'm a big proponent of 4-H. You know, presentation skills. I just manage their stuff. Sports, of course, soccer, baseball, football, uh, anything like that. I just manage their social. I didn't think social should happen in a classroom. Uh, I think classroom
0: without walls. Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's it for sure. So I hope that answers it. But that the social skills I controlled, they were very important. And uh, we made sure that they were acclimated to a number of situations uh, as often as possible.
0: I, I, I just want to add a quick point. I so agree with this because on this show, I interview almost every single entrepreneur who has come to my show. They homeschool their children. It is very interesting. You can really see the missing links. And they all share their children have remarkable social skills because they are in the environment. They are actually mingling with people who are older than them, who are younger than them. When you look at our own children who only socialize with their peers of the same age, Oftentimes, they cannot communicate with the people who are older than them. They will have a hard time to verbalize their emotions or thoughts. But those children who are used to mingling with a mixed range age of children, they are a lot more articulative. Yeah. yeah so yeah, they really I, do. I love that. And uh, I don't know if I have time to answer that question, but people, everyone loves you, everything you shared, uh, uh, Rich. And uh, so share with us. Like you are giving us this amazing free gift to have access to the learning platform. So how should we do this and uh, share the link with me? How should I tell everyone this?
1: Well, the the link is braincentricdesign.com forward slash experience. But uh, instead of that, uh, we can take the information from everybody in your um, feed here, and I can just email them the information direct and uh, they're in. Uh, It's a it's a course online. So if you go to braincentricdesign.com, the very first thing at the very top says, everyone's a teacher and you can uh, go ahead and say, show me more on this.
0: Is this the right place?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That button that says show me more. And now this class, this will show uh, everything about this particular class. Uh, but everybody who we have here in your, your comments that uh, is signed on, uh, you have a record of that. We'll send the login information to, uh, and they will go through uh, approximately 30 of these challenge wheels that I just described on 30 different subjects, content, piece concepts, and uh, have full access to everything that we said in the neuroscience included in all of those things. Uh, these were designed by uh, our brain-centric instructional designers. Uh, Jeffrey Neal, uh, one of our main designers, Kiran Omani, that's his photo there on that video, uh, assisted uh, a team of them. And it's it's a wonderful deep dive. Now that particular page, you can even take a a free course, a a PowerPoint course that'll talk about it, talks a little bit-
0: That's (laughs) you, I love that.
1: (laughs) Well, we have some cartoons that are coming out because again, the teachers, uh, they love them and everybody loves a cartoon. Uh, I've got on my podcast, I've actually got coming up uh, Neil Cohn, who uh, spoke about the visual language of- of, Oh, so true. Yeah, so they- Another
0: quick (laughs) thing to add there, I love the, like, I actually read a study showing that when you are actually using emojis in your text and students are more interested in learning, they're more engaged because those things evoke emotions, you know, going back to what you said earlier, the heart component, so I love this, yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's and it's fun. Again, learning shouldn't be scary. There's That's our whole crew there. You can see there's a, me and Kiran and there's the brain and a, a dopamine molecule. Because really the way we look at classrooms, it's the management of neurotransmitters or you call them feelings. But if I'm scared or if I'm happy or if I'm excited or if I'm feeling a group, those are all caused by neurotransmitters, chemicals. And as a facilitator or a teacher, you can manage those neurotransmitters in your class just by doing, saying, or articulating certain behaviors or events, which are all combined in that challenge wheel. It's, the design is so simple. That's what makes it so brilliant. And if you follow it religiously, uh, if you follow it as uh, uh, that kind of, of wheel and don't alter from it, and this, I'm a marketer and I hate saying this, but now I love saying this, it works every time. Every time we go in there to teach a concept, regardless of the concept, it could be everything from business requirements for a world leading bank to uh, 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 how to answer the phone for uh, the world's leading shoe manufacturer. However, whatever we teach people now, they don't have to memorize it. They know it which means they don't get in trouble, which means they don't get into their amygdala, which means they're not stressed, which means they're in their job and they enjoy it because they're a master at their job. And they now understand that they do have limitless potential and they can learn anything. Just like I learned to walk, run, and ride horses again after having my body ripped apart, the brain's a, med- a ma- magical thing that can do whatever whatever you set your mind to. That sounds like a cliche, but setting your mind to means I'm going to have a challenge that's attainable. I need multiple perspectives to figure out how to fix that challenge. I then need to process my thinking on that challenge. Then I need to speak with other people that have gone through that kind of same thing and, and put those thoughts together. And then I need to tell somebody how I'm going to do it. That's, that is a challenge wheel. And suddenly, then I own it and I can do whatever, what I want with. And that's, That's what we're trying to get out to all these teachers. Even the national score with schools came out, uh, the schools that Kieran's Neural Education, that's neuraleducation.org, that he's teaching those teachers and school districts, they're getting the best scores in Washington state. And they have have less kids dropping out. They have more kids being engaged. And it's because now they like going there. They get to collaborate, they get to co-create, and it's safe, unlike, their home or their neighborhood or what they see on news or what they're looking at at social media, when they come into one of our learning spaces, it's fun, we're gonna have fun and I'm gonna walk away smarter and that's cool. And that's what we want to have happen.
0: Wow, I like everyone just love, we have about like 30 people join us live on multiple platforms. Please make sure to tell me your email address. Uh, You can privately message me or leave them in the comment section if you don't really worry about people emailing you and uh and i will send all the emails to rich this has been such a like people are still commenting and we have some really great questions i'm sorry i don't really have time to answer those questions but it shows like asking you know tonight my children come back home i'm going to ask those three questions what is surprising they're so simple but they really i think encourage our children to open up to share and to collaborate so thank you so much rich this is incredible. I appreciate you.
1: I appreciate you, I and what you're doing with Classroom Without Walls, giving these things opportunity for people to be exposed to them. You know, not through advertising, but through an experience. And uh, like you, I mean, if anybody wants to reach out to me on LinkedIn, it's uh, Car Knowledge, C-A-R-R Knowledge, uh, on LinkedIn, and also Brain Centric Design. Drop me a message with a question. I'll answer it. I'll help in any way I want. Point you to the right people because uh, knowledge that's not shared is
0: I I love this. Thank you again, everyone, for joining us live. This is a weekly show. What is school for? Where we have parents startup funders entrepreneurs we come together we discuss debate and disrupt education and join me live on next friday at noon est and i have another amazing parent slash entrepreneur and slash educator join me live on the show so thank you so much everyone have a great weekend and if you want to have access to the free learning platform please make sure to message me your email by the end of the day thank you so much rich
1: Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: Bye.
1: <laughs> My dog.
0: Oh. So-